Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Magazine, and I'm happy to say that our podcast is getting more and more exposure with military members as well as security contractors around the world who are listening in for new tactics on how to prepare for real-life attacks, even in the dark corners of the world where our brave men and women are putting their life on the line every single day. Now, recently, I got a call from a friend of mine who's a full-time high-threat security contractor who's made it his mission to help his fellow operators further develop the skills that they need to survive when operating in the world's most dangerous hot zones. Now, this mission is what led him to create a very special book that I'll tell you about in just a minute. But in our conversation and in conversations that I've had with other tactical professionals, there's one area that really stands out to me as requiring specialized preparation and tactics, and that's driving in high-threat environments. Now, whether you're a soldier or a military contractor or a survivalist who understands the need for this type of training in the collapsed environment, I promise you're going to get a lot out of this week's broadcast. But a couple of warnings to start things off. First, I want to apologize for some of the sound quality that you're going to hear in this broadcast. In Africa at this time, and sometimes when I'm talking overseas, I never know what I'm going to get in the way of a connection or in the way of a Skype microphone in this case, which I think was rubbing up against tactical beard as he was talking some of the time. So, apologize for some of the sound quality, but it's the tips that you're looking for anyway, right? So let's focus in on the information that you're going to get. Now, speaking of the information, another little warning here. This broadcast is a little bit longer than what we normally have for our podcast. However, Ethan really wanted to get information out there for his fellow operators, and so it went a little bit long, along with my translations for the civilian survivalists out there. But if you are a glutton for great information, then I've got exactly what you're looking for. So go ahead and grab something to take notes, and let's get started. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. It's a fact that not many people are willing to face. That sometimes the places where we feel the safest are the places we may be the least safe. Let's take your vehicle, for example. Despite being surrounded by heavy metal and locked doors, one stop at a downtown red light may put you in the crosshairs of a carjacking ambush by a local gang. And what about when the heat really gets turned up, such as during times of civil unrest or a protest gone bad? We've seen flash mob attacks in Philly where citizens were pulled out of cars and beaten for no reason. And who can forget the images of Reginald Denny, a truck driver dragged out of his cab during the Rodney King riots? Now, for civilians, it should be clear to you now that vehicles shouldn't be seen as the safety zone you may assume they are. In preparing your vehicle, your gear, and your fast action response plan for a mobile attack is now a critical factor in surviving a real-life threat. And nowhere is this more evident than in the world's most dangerous hot zones, where our soldiers and military contractors are operating in harm's way on a daily basis during high-threat mobile operations. From the threat of improvised explosive devices to a small arms ambush and even a no-warning mob attack on a vehicle, preparing for battle now requires today's warriors, both military and the civilian sheepdogs of our society, to be ready for any attack from anyone at any time in any location. And that's exactly what we're here to help with right now. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. My guest back with us today is my friend, full-time protective services contractor who's overseas hot zone operations have forced him to learn, sometimes the hard way, how to protect yourself in your vehicle when you're surrounded by danger. Welcome back to the program, man. Jeff, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yep, good. I know you've been uh, dying to get this information out here, so I'm glad we finally hooked up to get all the information out there. Uh, listen, everybody, we've got a real treat in, in, in store for you here, but if you haven't heard any of our other interviews with then you're in for a, a real real surprise. Um, I typically look for guests who have real-life experience in the areas that we focus in on, and this is one of those guys who's on my top trainers list because not only is he a combat veteran of the U.S. Army and the former director of operations for the 
but he's also a full-time security contractor operating in hot zones all over the planet, like Afghanistan, Lebanon, Central America, and Africa. His over 13 years of real-world combat and protective experience have made him a valuable resource for military contractors, protection professionals, soldiers, police officers, and civilians who require the skills they can depend on that really work for getting you home alive at the end of the day for professionals operating in hostile environments. Now, you can read more about and his training at www. And we're, we're talking about high-threat mobile operations. We, you and I have had some really, really cool conversations about this. Now, as with every element of staying safe, the preparation that you do before you head out on your route is what's going to really help set you up for success or failure. So when it comes to prepping your vehicle, I think it, it probably goes without saying that you should always head out like with a full tank of gas, your tires got to be good, basically that your vehicle has to be fully functional. But what are some other ways that someone can prep their vehicle to be ready for any type of a mobile attack like an ambush or a carjacking? Jeff, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. And, it, you know, that's going to depend a lot on either if you're, you're doing this for setting the vehicle up for military or contracting mobile operations or, you know, as you discuss a lot of times on your show, for civilians. And, um, of course, as you've already brought up, make sure that you know, the vehicle's filled with gas. Uh, make sure that you have oil, you know, just the basic stuff. But additional items that you should have inside your vehicle are tow straps, um, a first aid kit, and a good first aid kit. Not just one where it's like, you know, you cut your hand, you got a little Band-Aid with regards to it. Uh, almost like a crash kit, if you will. Make sure you have a tourniquet. Make sure you have pressure bandages. Um, you know, you can go to any of these sportsman stores now and you can get the, uh, you can get the quick lock sponges. It's always good to carry and have a lot of that stuff on the inside. Um, so those are, are real, real important aspects and things to put inside of your vehicle. And then as you and I have discussed before, uh, there's some great stuff out on the, on the market right now. Uh, one of them that I use is Molly seat covers. They fit over the front and rear seat and also into the back seat. Uh, and what it is is it's a series of pouches that you can set up however you want them set up, and you can go ahead and you can add additional items onto the inside of it. So as we've already discussed, you put your medical kit, you stick it inside of the, the Molly pouch that's on the back of the seat. Uh, you can put, you know, break down your MREs or power bars, as we've discussed before. Uh, you can set everything up that you will need uh, for a long trip or a short trip or, you know, a bug out situation. Everything is there and it's ready for you to, to use and, and to get at. Uh, the other aspect, of course, as we've, we've discussed before is, is the simple fact of a lot of times that if you're in a civilian situation, for example, and you get into a, a car accident, if you don't have things tied down, those items become flying shrapnel inside of the vehicle and they can do a lot of damage to you. Uh, so, you know, those of us who have been in the military, those of us have had to deal with, you know, IED attacks, you know, whether in a Humvee or inside of a, a uh, armored vehicle of some type, know that everything inside that vehicle gets strapped down. So uh, I think those are the basic things that you need to, to look at. Uh, always kind of sit down and think ahead and plan out what you're going to need. Uh, some pieces of tools or items for your, your personal toolkit, if you will, you'll need maybe somebody else will look at it and say, you know, I don't think I need that for, for what I'm going to be dealing with. Well, here's the, uh, here's the thing. I mean, I know you have, we have a lot of military contractors and protection professionals out there all around the world that listen to the podcast. And so um, I really want you to help give them the information that they need to, because I think your experience is really unique, right? And, and so, what are some of the things on and, – and I can basically do a civilian translation as well, I think, for some of the other people out there. But on that Molly – on that Molly, uh, this is something I found really cool because those Molly seat covers, I love them now. You turned me on to this, and so I've, I've changed over to this now. But what are some of the things that you have as a professional protection guy out there in hot zones? What are some of the things that you actually have on there? Well – in all vehicles, you know, we usually have an SOP, standard operating procedure of how we have things set up. So for the right-hand side of, of where the passenger would sit at with the Molly gear on it, that's actually the the, the location that has all the extra ammunition, uh, extra ammunition for uh, MP5s, for Glocks, 
for M4s or G36s, um, also for shotguns. Any extra ammunition is located onto the right-hand side, and it's set up that way. So if you're doing a, a vehicle operation with, with more than one vehicle, if something happens, people know that they can go to the, this vehicle or any other of the vehicles in that convoy, and things will be set up that way. So typically, um, a configuration would be uh, on the top uh, six MP5 magazines that are pushed down into MP5 uh, moly that are attached onto the back. Um, Below that, there's uh, four um, moly, moly um, compartments that hold Glock magazines. Uh, then to the left of that, uh, a long strip that has uh, locations for um, for M4 or G36 magazines. Below that is a huge kind of like a, almost a dump pouch that's filled with 12 gauge um, ammunition, uh, 12 gauge slug. Um, um, Double odd buck. It's located inside of there, and then there's a another pocket that can be used for um, throwing in empty magazines or having extra magazines on the inside that maybe aren't loaded. Um, also, I know on the bottom of the of that side of the pouch, a lot of times we'll carry, you know, always any place that you look inside the vehicle, you'll find medical gear. It's on every one of the seats. It's in the back of the vehicle. It's in the front of the vehicle. Some people, you know, may think, well, that, that sounds kind of overkill. But, but again, you never know what's going to happen. You may get hurt. You may not be able to reach over to, to the back seat because you're maybe pinned in or you, the back of the vehicle's crushed or you don't know. So you look to the left and on the driver's side, inside of the, the well next to the door, you have another medical kit on the inside of there. So I'm, I'm a big, big supporter of having medical gear, not only on yourself, but inside of the vehicle and all different locations where you can get it, get to it if need be. Um, pretty common in the back seat, how we would have it set up, Jeff, is um, we have our, our body armor, if we're not wearing it, it'd be placed on the seat with um, a low-profile Kevlar, and then you would put your low-profile web gear over the top of that. And then also you can get this, um, they're like cargo covers. They're netted cargo straps that basically, um, there's a number of companies that make them, but they actually, they clip into the safety belts in the back of the, in the back of the seats. So you can put the mesh over the top of them and they're secured and they're not getting bumped or thrown around. Um, so that would usually be set up for both of the operators inside of the vehicle. In the rear of the vehicle, of course, we have, uh, a very large medical uh, trauma bag. Um, we also have additional um, items on the inside, like jumper cables, toe straps. Um, and I'm, I'm talking like the nylon toe straps, the heavy, heavy-duty toe straps. Very, very, very important. I, I, I've used them numerous times in the, in the current mission that I'm working on. Um, they're cheap to get. I'm not, not really pulling a plug out, but Sportsman's Guide, if, you're, if your listeners haven't gone to that so- store, go there. They have a large, large selection of, of different items that you can use for updating your vehicle. And uh, the the 7 and 12 ton toe straps are a must-to-have and, and very reasonable in, in, in price. Uh, I also carry three sets of jumper cables. Um, we just carry that many just in case one goes down or another vehicle needs it. You know, everything's there. And it, it, it's inside of a, a large duffel bag, kind of we call it a contact kit, it also has um, um, it has all the tools that you'll need for taking a tire off the vehicle, making sure the jack is placed on the inside, and then on the bottom of it we have a piece of uh, of wood, um, uh, heavy duty plywood, and we use that because sometimes on the sides of the roads they're muddy or after rain, you know you can't just put the jack down on the ground. You need to um, put something that's solid where you're going to be able to get a good base in order to, to lift the vehicle up. Um, and then, like I said, we also, we also carry a, uh, uh, in the back of the vehicle, we also have a, a, a Pelican case that has extra body armor and extra helmets on it in case we get called to a situation and we have to extract people. Sometimes they may not have a helmet, they may not have the body armor that they need, so we try to you know, plan for that and make sure that we have that ready to go too. Uh, also carry extra food, MREs in the back, but we break them down. We don't carry them in the actual in the, the actual pouches. A lot of guys that were in the military know this. You, you, you open them up, you take out what you think you're really going to need, uh, and the rest of you, a lot of times shit can it. Um, 
Also, uh, in the front of the vehicles, uh, as I stated before, we have smaller medical pouches that, that are into each of the doors. So if you came typically to, to my team and you looked onto the inside, you would find um, small medical pouches, trauma kits that would be tucked inside of the doors uh, in the front and in the rear of the vehicle. So those are just uh, those are some some ideas that you can can do. Um, you know, you can't go wrong. Again, you need to look at the situation. You need to look at where you're operating at, and you can make the determination or decision of what you think that you're really going to need. Yeah, I know one other item that you have talked to me about before was making sure that you have a dry fire, uh, fire. Uh, yes. fire extinguisher. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. There's a there's a number of reasons, not just for a fire, and I, I think uh, we can talk about that. A little bit later on, unless you want me to touch base on that right now. But, no, I mean I think we can uh, we can talk about that, but I, I think that's really critical. So let me give a, a little bit of a civilian translation here, also for those people out there, like, well, I don't need 37 MP5 magazines, and I don't need incendiary grenades or anything like that out there with me. But here's what I've done with it. Um, so basically, I make sure that with the Molly pouches now, it does give me a better place to put my first aid kit because if you do get like in a rollover accident or something, I've always had mine on my bug out bag in the, in the back of my vehicle. But what ends up happening is if you're crunched up, like you have a rollover or something like that, I can't climb back there if I'm bleeding. So now I have my uh, kit on that, on where it is, like on the Molly gear. So that's one thing. The other thing is, and I put this in my, uh, Social Chaos Escape and Evasion Manual was one of the things for high threat pursuits, and um, I actually experienced this with a vehicle that was trying to run us off the road at one time. This was when I was with my stepfather, and he took out this uh, deep uh, deep sea fishing uh, sinker. You know, it's, it's a giant lead weight. And this car was literally trying to push us off the road. And I just remember it was the only thing my stepfather had in the front seat because we had, we had gone deep sea fishing. He grabbed that thing and flung it and hit the guy's window, and the guy backed off. I don't, I don't think it caused an accident or anything like that, but when I was in New Mexico, we had a bad gang problems. And one of the things they used to do was if they would walk, they would go around without their lights on, and if you flashed your lights as you, know, you normally would, like, like, hey, hey, guy, you know, you need to turn your, turn your lights on. That was kind of the signal for them to turn around and target you, and that was an, a gang initiation that they did. So, so I've always been very kind of conscious of high threat pursuit or being chased down in a vehicle or something like that. So, I've always carried this bag of like hardcore nuts and bolts, like really big ones that if I needed to, I could throw it out my my. Um, out the side window, I could throw it out my sunroof. I could basically throw it at another vehicle if I needed to get them off my tail if they were trying aggressively to try and push me off the road. Well, what always would end up happening that bag would always like kind of if I pressed on the brakes, it would slide up and it would like there's a danger of it going underneath my brake pedal or my gas or something like that. So now I have that on the front of my uh, of the Molly straps now on on the the seat covering. It gives me a great place. It keeps it there. It doesn't keep – if I get in an accident, it doesn't go flying all over the place, and it's made it a lot safer place to go to. So there's a lot of other gear that you might carry out there in your civilian vehicle. This gives it a really great way to go ahead and make sure that you've got it in a secure location. So that's kind of how I've, I've used some of the tips that you've given me here. Okay, so we've been talking survival factors when operating a vehicle in hostile environments. We have a lot more to get to, including – how to establish your own threat radar to spot a dangerous scenario before you're trapped in an ambush, as well as fast response tactics when all else fails and your vehicle is surrounded by a bloodthirsty mob and no way to drive out of the attack. All that and more coming right up, but first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. 
Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back, Tom, to find out about how to plan, prep, and survive during mobile operations in hostile environments. We have a lot more to get to, so let's go ahead and jump back in now. Now, obviously, the earlier that you can see an attack coming, the faster you can respond to either avoid a conflict or, if you have to, make contact. Now, that requires an awareness that most civilians don't pay much attention to when they're out there driving. So what are some ways to better stay alert when you're driving to avoid a surprise ambush? You know, there's a lot of options that you can do. Um, the big thing is, is being observant, just paying attention to, to what's happening and taking place around you. There's things uh, in the military, as you're aware of, they call indicators or combat indicators. Um, you know, sometimes like, you'll be driving uh, inside of, say, Iraq or Afghanistan or other high-threat areas, and you won't see any kids playing on the side of the road or you won't see any women outside or old men. Uh, the streets are basically a ghost town. Um, that's a real good sign that, that something you know, may be about ready to happen. Uh, also, and sometimes in high-threat you know, areas, You'll see graffiti written on the walls when you're driving. That's basically warning, telling you don't come to this area. Uh, if you do, you're dead. Uh, there's a lot of different little indicators on that aspect. But, you know, I guess uh, in the in the world that that, uh, that you discuss a lot in the show with civil unrest and so forth, if you start seeing, you know, large groups of people massing, stay away from the area, don't drive into it. Uh, you also you know, brought up at the beginning of the show about how in Philadelphia people have driven into different locations and the mob surrounds them and attacks them. You know, it's, it's almost like in mob situations, it seems it's that, that feeding frenzy where somebody, you know, pours blood into, into the water and the sharks just attack. And it's, it's the same, you know, with a vehicle. People tend, for whatever reason, they see a moving vehicle and they just attack it. They move towards it. They hit it. Uh, they don't care who's on the inside. They're just caught up in the, in the moment. And they're caught up in the frenzy of it. So, again, staying away from those type of areas. Try to know your, your surroundings where you're going to operate in. You know, in our, in our world, we know the, the roads, the routes. Uh, also looking, you know, using Google Earth or using other applications that you have uh, that show, you know, a satellite view or a map view of where you're going to. And it's important to drive these routes to know them where you're going to if need be. Uh, and it's the same in the civilian world. If you know you have to go from point A to point B and then go to the hospital, you may want to, you know, drive through different routes and, and establish a primary route, a secondary route, an alternative route. Uh, just know what you're, where you're operating. And, and when you're driving on those routes, you're going to see people. You're going to start to pick up little things. You'll know that, you know, seeing people outside cutting the grass or, you know, sitting on the front step, you know, drinking a beer or whatever is normal. Again, when you start seeing, you know, different factors or indicators that are different from a normal day, if you will, um, your flag should be going up and you should, as we've you know, talked before, you need to listen to that little voice inside of your head. If that little voice is screaming, get the hell out of there, then then listen to that voice. Just do it. Um, those are some, uh, you know, important factors. Another factor that yeah, I think is really important, Jeff, and um people need to understand is when you're operating a vehicle, you don't need to be driving super fast. If you're going into an area where you're not sure about the situation, you know, make sure that you're, you're going, you know, a steady, a steady speed, but not one where you're going so fast that if something happens, you're not going to be able to put on the brakes. You're not going to be able to stop that vehicle. Um, just be aware of your surroundings. But at the same time, you're going and traveling in such a, a rate of speed where if you do have to punch the acceleration to get out of there, 
you have that option. But when you're going that fast, you can't ramp up. You've got to ramp down. And again, you know, I've seen a few times where vehicles in convoy um, escorts, either in the military or in private details, were driving too fast, um, were too close to each other, and ended up hitting the vehicle in front of in front of them during an ambush, or you know, the vehicle in the front puts on its brakes to stop from hitting you know a family running across the road, and the vehicle in the rear plows into them. So again, spacing is always important if you're operating um, in, in more than than a one vehicle movement. If you're operating by yourself, but there's other people around, still always make sure that you have that distance where if you have to react, you're going to have the space to be able to do so. What are some common, uh, I know, like when you're out driving, what are the areas for you and like for other professional protection, you know, protection professionals are out there, like what are some of the most common choke points or like potential ambush, like those hot spots? That, that kind of really gets you uneasy. Are, are there any like specific situations or scenarios that you try to avoid that will, uh, that are, that are common, kind of, that gets the hair on the back of your neck standing up? Uh, anytime I go into a traffic circle, um, one of the first ambushes that I ever saw inside of Iraq, and, and thank God I wasn't involved in it. We were, we pulled up on it about, I think probably maybe 10 minutes after it happened. When vehicles go into the traffic circle, they automatically kind of have to slow down to get around. And they had placed an IED on the left-hand side. Um, this was near Tikrit. And uh, they blew it, and then they attacked that, that convoy with uh, RPGs and small arms fire. Um, so, of course, anytime you see something, you're going to remember it, and it affects you. And uh, um, that type of, of, of movement and, of course, in a lot of the, the Middle East countries and in Africa, um, they use traffic circles. So, you know, there's a potential for those those types of, of things to happen. You know, the bad guys are looking for easy ways to hit people. And they know that you're going to have to, as I said before, you're going to have to slow down. If you can get a vehicle to slow down and you can take out that lead vehicle, you're basically, you know, stopping anything from moving forward. So a lot of times they'll, they'll wait till it gets inside. They'll hit the front, and a lot of times they'll try to hit the, the rear vehicle, and then they box everything up. Uh, so traffic circles for me are, are, you know, not good. Also going in areas where there's tall buildings uh, where somebody can get on top of the building and shoot down. Uh, those are always, you know, very hairy and scary situations. Um, it, there's all kinds of different scenarios. You never know. I know in my job, um, everyone that's in the vehicle, their head's on a swivel. They're constantly moving back and forth, up and down. Um, you know, using the rear view mirrors to make sure you're not being followed. Um, you, you also, you know, uh, you have your, your S2, your information that's coming out from your information sections that's providing information on attacks that may have happened in other parts of the city. Of course, you stay away from those areas. Uh, but if you do have to go into the areas, you, you try to pay even, you know, stronger attention to what's happening or what's taking place. Um, if I can avoid those locations, I will avoid it by all costs. But another problem that you have when you're operating in a lot of these different countries, the roads aren't really good. You know, they, they've built them, and the road may be 40 or 50 years old. There's potholes all over the place, and sometimes you're just forced to have to use those those roads. So, so again, just uh, staying observant, you know, looking at your surroundings, watching, uh, also, you know, reading about what has happened before in a, in a specific area know the areas that you're going into, and, you know, having a plan on what to do if you do get hit. Yeah. Well, some of the other things I think that go along with that, which is, like, if you if there are multiple lanes where you're driving, the middle, like, you, you don't need to get hit with an IED to get jammed up. Like, if somebody were to attack or for some reason there's a flash mob or anything that happens, if you're in a middle lane on three on a three lane section where everybody's going in the same direction, you're limiting your options for where you can drive out of. So trying to stay in a lane, preferably on the outside lane, sometimes where you can you can go across a lawn or out, get away from the road if you have to and be able to get around. But then also getting uh, making sure that you have enough room. A lot of people when they pull up at a red light, pull right up on the car in front of them which doesn't give you any room to maneuver either. Like you need to be able to give yourself enough room that if something were to happen instantly, you don't have to try and back up to get around somebody or you've got lots of room to be able to make a decision and give yourself those options. 
And the other thing that, that uh, something you brought up earlier, like knowing where your hospitals are and like police stations or no matter where you are, if it, it could be like another base, if you are out in a hot zone somewhere, but even if you're a civilian, one of the things that I like about the old, I call it old school now, it's not really old school, but the, the GPS is like the, um, um, the navigators that you used to have to buy. Now most everybody uses their phone, right? Like Google Maps on their on their smartphone or something like that. But what I like about the old ones that you can still buy is is with those navigation things, you can just, like if you want a hospital, you just hit like hospital and it pulls up directions to the local, to the nearest hospital. You don't have to search for it or anything like that. Same thing for like gas stations, uh, same thing for police stations. You just push the button and it'll it'll tell you how to get there instantly. And you might need that if somebody is injured or something, you can quickly get to the the nearest hospital if you need to. If you're starting I can tell you running out of gas in the wrong in the wrong place in a neighborhood, wrong part of the city is not a is not a fun thing. It's happened to me before. And uh, so knowing where you know, the Jeff, gas station is, yeah. Jeff, sorry, I just want to throw in one thing that I, I, I think, and I see a lot now with a lot of the younger guys that I run into is, is you know, they're like, oh, I'll just pull out the GPS. You know, one of the basic skills that I know that you and I and a lot of the older guys that maybe listen to the show, you know, back in the day we used maps. You know, we had to use a protractor and a map and figure out where we we're at. Yeah. And and I think this is a skill that people have, you know, kind of. You know, don't use anymore. Uh, everything is is digital; they can find it. But but the problem is, is what if that grid goes down? What if you can't get a GPS signal? What if the GPS breaks? Well, you better know how to to read a map and know how to use a compass because if you don't, you can be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I, I think it's very important for your for your listeners to also, you know, it's one of those things that that if you don't use it, you become rusty at it. So if you can like do a little bit of training, you know, five pick five points. And, uh, you know, figure out the routes on how to get there and, and, and use a protractor and, and, and do what you, we used to do many, many, many years ago. Um, getting back to our roots, if you will, I think that's really important too. And, um, inside of a vehicle, a lot of times, you know, when the military, your lieutenant or, you know, a team sergeant or whatever would have a map on his leg and he was following the route, not just leaving the GPS. He was actually looking at the map route to make sure that, you know, things were lined up because sometimes GPSs can be wrong. Yep. Um, so, again, I think that's a, a really important fact also for vehicle operations is to have a map. If, if, you know, even in a civilian world, you know, get the map book out and make sure that you have it so you can also take a look at it and see what, what's going on around you. Or if you need to get someplace, you know, hospitals are usually marked on those maps. Um, you know, uh, police stations a lot of times are marked on those maps. So uh, things of that nature, it just it's it's an important tool that i think is 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 very much overlooked these days yeah it's good to be a lost art <laughs> and it's like you're right it is it does need to be yeah now, even with the best preparation the enemy with a mission to target you always has the upper hand because they choose the time and place to attack you when you suddenly find yourself in a no warning ambush and you have room to maneuver out of the area that's probably going to be your best escape plan just basically get the hell out of dodge but we've seen several scenarios where vehicles are stopped in their tracks, especially in populated areas, as you talked about. And the vehicle can get vehicle can get mobbed by people who could be trying to get inside. They can try to, you know, tip the vehicle over, basically get you out of the vehicle to attack you. When the shit completely hits the fan like this in an ambush, what are the best reactions on contact that someone can use to help them survive? You know, Jeff, that's a that's a Again, a very interesting point that you bring up, and I unfortunately had uh, uh, was involved in a, in a situation like that last year. Um, my vehicle, I uh, was driving an armored vehicle, uh, I had dropped off uh, the principal, and I was actually um, the only one in the vehicle. The rest of the team members had already been dropped off in their, their locations where they were staying at. And um, I had a motor taxi which is a motorcycle where they like put four and five people on it driving the wrong way down the road and it smashed into me. And uh, I stopped because the motorcycle hit, they flew into the ditch. And so I was getting on the radio and I was using my GPS to mark the location and I was going to notify higher up of the incident and also to see if somebody would be able to send out uh, some type of emergency unit. Um, that was not very smart of me to do because as soon as I stopped, 
uh, and why I had looked down and was doing things. I looked up and I had about 25 people at that, that time pounding on my vehicle, trying to open the doors. Um, at that point in time, I was able to, you know, put the vehicle in drive and get out. Um, the problem is, is in a lot of these third world nations, the roads are just packed with people that just do anything they want to. There's no, there's really no rule of law. You know, people don't follow the directions that have been set up. You know, there's no stoplights. Um, and so you got to drive slow. Otherwise you're going to, you're going to probably end up hitting somebody. So I was trying to push back to, to our primary base and I was now being chased by about 25 motorcycles. And so, you know, keeping my speed, I'm having these motorcycles go up, kick the side of the vehicle, going nuts. Um, I got to a location and I, I made the determination that I was going to just have to pull to the side because there was too many people and I didn't want to get into another accident. So called in my location. Um, the problem was that day there was a lot of things going on uh, within the country, within the city. And so I was kind of on a wait list. So I was told, hey, you're going to just have to wait there. Well, I was inside of an armored vehicle. I'm, I'm assuming it was an armored Toyota. I figured, okay, I'm okay. Uh, so I got to see firsthand what, what, what happens. And it's, it's, it's pretty terrifying. Uh, so I stopped. Uh, I had about those, those 25 motorcycles. The first thing they did is they took their motorcycles and they piled them up in front of the vehicle and behind the vehicle. So I couldn't drive forward or reverse or these motorcycles would have caught underneath. Um, then they surrounded the vehicle and the first thing they tried to do is they tried to push it over, which, hey, Brainiac, you're not going to be able to do because of the weight of the vehicle. Um, so I just sat there and I was watching the situation. And then I noticed that there was two guys that were getting the crowd really riled up. One of them was going out onto the street and just pulling complete strangers that had nothing to do with the, with the incident into the fray of what was happening. And within about 45, 45 minutes time, you know, here I am, one guy inside of the vehicle, and the vehicle surrounded, and these people are going nuts. They're throwing rocks. They're hitting the vehicle. You know, they're making the, the hand across the throat sign. So um, I felt that I was safe, or, or I assumed that I thought I was safe. Uh, probably about 30 minutes after sitting there, I started hearing a ping, 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 ping sound. And I looked in the rear of the vehicle, and the window on the far right-hand side, these individuals had taken a piece of rebarb, and we're smashing it, three of them. It was a big piece, and they were, like, using it as a battering ram. And they managed to, to crack the window, and they kept going on it, and more and more people were getting involved and, in, in, you know, smashing against the window. Um, about an hour later, they managed to breach it a little bit. The rebar came in, and there was a small enough hole. So then I started to worry. And um, during that time, when this was happening, I had made the decision that I was probably going to have to run out of that vehicle. So if you get in a situation like that, what I can recommend is try to stay calm. I mean, it's, it, it's going to freak you out, but there's one against the world. Um, and uh, I'd be a liar if I said I wasn't, you know, unnerved and, and rattled about the situation, which I was. But what I did during that time is I, I was able to identify a large kind of mound of dirt that was about 50 meters away from my vehicle was at. Um, there had been some construction in the area and there was a, they were building a drainage ditch. So I had decided at that time that if I had to run, that was going to be my primary location. I looked beyond that and I was able to see that there was, um, a building that was being built. Um, and I saw there was stairs. So my, my fallback point would have been to that. So if you get in a situation like that and it looks like you're going to have to run, you know, come up with with your plan of action or actions on the objections, if, if you will. And again, remain calm. It's going to be hard, but you have to force yourself. Um, the other thing that that I did and I could recommend to others, use the time in the vehicle when you're under attack, not to freak out, but to gather as much insight into the people that are attacking you. Try to identify anyone that's armed, uh, what type of weapons they have, uh, Look at the surrounding ground that that you're on, because if you get out of the vehicle, you're going to have to fight on it. You know, use that time to gather as much information that you can that's going to be able to help in your survival. Um, well, what ended up happening going back in, in my situation, um, 
I noticed after they had managed to bust a, a small hole onto the inside, I saw a little kid running up with a bottle um, of Coke. Uh, it wasn't Coke, it was gasoline. And they were attempting to throw the gas or get it through the hole that they had done, and they were going to try to burn me out. So at that time, I was about ready to make the decision that, uh, okay, time to leave. I'm not going to... I'm not going to be a crispy critter in this vehicle. Um, but as luck would have it, which happens to a lot of us, is uh, the QRF showed up. Um, and when they rolled up, they fired warning shots into the air, and the people cleared out. It was like a party to the Red Sea. And I was able to get out of that area and get back uh, get back to my base camp in one piece. Um, but, but going back to it, there are some other points that kind of I realized as an after action, and I've explained this to other people. Um, that I work with. So if they get into that situation, they can try to, to hopefully use some of the things that I saw and that I picked up on so that they can, you know, keep themselves safe or get out of that situation if it happens. Um, one of the things that I initially had done that I thought, you know, I need to do this just to liability reasons. I took out my phone and I started videotaping what was going on. Not a smart idea. As soon as these people saw the phone come out and I was videotaping them, that set them off, you know, a hundredfold. So if you can get your phone out and you can get it where you can record, try to do it covertly. Try to see if you can get it in your pocket. If you have, uh, I know some some teams actually have um, GoPros inside of their vehicle. If you can turn on the GoPro just to videotape what's going on uh, so that things don't get twisted. Uh, if you do have to go kinetic, uh, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have some sort of proof to be able to show that, you know, you didn't, you did not want to get to that level, but the people in the mob on the outside took it to that level. And I think that could also be looked at too inside of a civilian situation. Get a GoPro camera, stick it inside of your vehicle. If, if it's a mob situation, you have people attacking you, flip it on so that you can document it. Um, the other insight is you need to identify who the ringleaders are. And like I had stated a little bit earlier on, I was able to figure out right away who the two main guys were. One of them was a taxi driver or the motor taxi driver, and the other individual was, uh, I assume, his friend. Um, and the reason I bring this up is, is when people get into the mob mentality, they're going off of what who they believe is is a leader or the person that's that's getting them riled up. And if it comes in a situation where you have to get out of that vehicle and you have to fight for your life, um, and these people are coming at you, and you make that that decision to either go kinetic um, or to use some type of use of force, I would target those people. And the reason being is, if you if you if you will, you cut the head of the snake off, the rest are going to like mold away. And um, again, anytime you get in a situation like that, you know it's not an, an easy situation. It's not an easy thought to think, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start shooting. Remember this, if you do get into a mob situation, shooting is the last thing that you want to do. That is the last thing that you want because you do it, you don't have any else play, and you don't have any, anywhere else to go with regards to it. Um, so with this said, there's some, some other options that you can also use if you have to exit out of that vehicle. If, if it's only you, you need to make sure that you have everything ready to go. And when this was happening to me, I had taken, a, I carry a camelback with, uh, I think it's a camelback hog. It has my water device in the back, it has some power bars, it has extra magazines, it has my GPS, it has a map. And I basically started getting things together. My plan was to put that on me and get to that primary position and, and hold out. And hopefully someone would, would be able to come and help me. Um, so, when you're in the vehicle, make sure that you you can take as much as you can take with you. You know, in the military, you know, we burn the vehicle. In some civilian, you know, organizations where they're doing close protection, they'll burn the vehicle so that things can't fall into the hands of the of, of the mob or, or the bad guys. But sometimes that's not going to be able to happen. Um, but so I put that together. I was ready to to move. Um, one of the things that that I we discussed earlier on in this podcast was being and using um, a fire extinguisher. And, of course, fire extinguisher putting out a car, but there's another great, great aspect of using that fire extinguisher. If you have to open your door and you've got a mob around you, you pull the, the, the pin on that, that fire extinguisher, the little handheld ones, and you shoot that powder out there, I guarantee you these people will run away because they don't know what it is. It's that whole concept of fear, and that's going to give you a little bit more time 
to, if you will, create that little that little rabbit hole for you to push through and get out of the area if need be. And don't be afraid. You know, point it, stick it in someone's face. If that dry powder hits them in the nose, hits them in the mouth, hits them in the eyes, they're going to be incapacitated. Um, I know there are some other teams, not where I work at, uh, in, in a different part of the world, um, that I, I've known the team leaders, and they carry bear spray on the inside, um, which clears out a huge swap. I mean, it's it's pepper mace. Um, it's it's legal to have, but it's ten times more potent than you know the little cans that you get at the police supply store or security store. So the whole point is when you when you decide that everyone in that vehicle has to get out, you're going to need to tell everyone in the vehicle if there's more than than just you. You're going to use those doors as, as battering rams, basically. When you give the signal, you're going to push as hard as you can to hit those people and knock them back so that you can get out. And then everyone else needs to come into that area, and you need to, to be together as a group. Everyone kind of needs to watch everyone's back, 360. And like I said, if you have the, the fire extinguishers, use it. But again, you don't want to, to, to reach for your gun right away. I mean, you're going to have your, your primary and your secondary weapon ready to go. But remember, if you amp it up that much, these people are already revved up. And if you pull a gun out right away, you have no way of turning back. You're not going to be able to pull out your pistol and point at somebody and say, you know what, I'm not going to use it and stick it back in. You know, to them, that might be a sign of weakness or, you know, that may rile them up even more. Um, I want to bring up one point while we're discussing this. I, 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 uh, how, how I came to know about you many years ago was listening to your, your podcast. And I, I read your pod, uh, the notes that are put on your blog. Um, I listen to your podcasts. And one of the things that I saw is one of your readers had, had talked about the fact, uh, and had sent a, an email message that, um, oh, you know, why would you bring a machete? That's, that's crazy. Don't bring a machete to a gunfight. You know, and I, and I just, I just thought, you know, that's ridiculous. It's wrong. You know, you should carry as many tools as you can inside of your toolbox. In fact, um, I've got some of Jeff's uh, machetes. I'm not trying to do a pitch here for them, but, but they work, and I use them. I use them in my job. Um, I work in a jungle environment, so sometimes I have to go into the jungle environment, and machetes work great. But the other point I bring this up is in the area where I work at, machetes are what has been used in most of the major combat situations that have taken place. A lot of these people don't have weapons, but they have machetes, and, and they know the machete. So the psychological effect of having a, a badass machete and maybe pulling that out and letting them see that, they're going to back off. You know, some of them, you know, some of these people in the, in the crowd, they know what it is or they all know what it is. But again, that might give you that extra little bit of, hey, these guys have machetes. They have something that I know will hurt me real bad and I don't want to mess with them. So so again, I mean, it, it bothered me a little bit when I when I saw that from your reader. And that's like, you know always have different tools in your toolbox. You don't have just one tool in your toolbox. You don't just have a hammer and you use a hammer for everything, you know? So again, I think it's important that, that the product, um, for example, not maybe not just from, from your, your company, but having a machete inside of a vehicle, it's another tool and it may help you out. You never know. And again, as I stated a couple times during this podcast, when you pull that gun out, you have no place else to go, you know. And in a lot of situations, that can make, you know, a situation with a mob a lot more angry. So, you know, again, it, it's up to it's up to the operator. It's up to the person on how they're going to handle that situation. But, again, I would leave using violent force, um, going kinetic, you know, maybe having to take someone's life as the last, the last thing that you're going to do. You shouldn't do it. Um well, the other thing is, I mean, you just talk about you've got 25 motorcycles and a mob of people around you. Even with, even as a professional, there's only so much ammunition that you have. And for a civilian, it's even it's even less than that. A lot of guys don't even carry extra magazines. Even those that do actually have a weapon on them, a firearm on them, you've only got like one magazine. Maybe you've got an extra backup magazine. But if it's a mob scenario. Those initial rounds might help disperse a crowd temporarily, but we've seen this in in videos uh, where mobs have tried to get inside of a vehicle. Even when they've been shot at, they scatter just for like a, like a time period because of the shock. But 
I don't know what it is that brings them back into the fight. I don't know if it's just this overwhelming, like, animal instinct to to get back in and, like, tear apart the the prey that they were they were after, but they seem to come right back to the vehicle to be able to try and, and get back at that person. But if you, you know, at some point, if you if you do have to go full-blown, like, you're, you're trying to survive and you're shooting, you've only got so many bullets. When they're gone, you've got to have some sort of a backup weapon. That's why I like the fire extinguisher, and I do. I, I carry a, a machete in my vehicle as well. It's legal as a machete. So, well, most I mean, I always tell people kind of you know check your local laws, but the fact is, is that you, exactly. as long yeah. as you can as long as you can explain it, you're good to go. As long as you can say you know I was camping or I have this uh, we're going on a camping trip, it's it's legal to have. But the, the point is give yourself options and don't get yourself kind of exactly. sorted into what you've got. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's one more thing though. If you do push out of the vehicle, I mean, if it if mm-hmm. if the and, and I'm assuming that people here are in, a, in an armored vehicle. But if you're not in an armored vehicle, you know, you really need to get out of it because you're going you're gonna to get hurt staying inside that vehicle. But once you've made that determination, that decision to leave the vehicle, get away from it. Move away from it. Because a lot of times what may happen is that people will just let you go and take out their, their aggression and anger on the vehicle, you know. Um, it, 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 again, it's going to depend on the, in the, the location where you're operating. Yeah. But, uh, but again, I think it's, an, I think it's very important going back again with the machete, um, having, you know, a gambit of tools in your toolbox to be able to use. And, you know, the last thing that I can say is that I've learned from this is, uh, after the situation that happened to me, um, you know, I kind of did some soul searching. I looked at how I was operating, what gear I was carrying. And one of the things that, that I do have now, um, and it's inside of my, my, uh, my ditch bag, it's a C-Mag, it's a 100-round drum, and I ca- would carry that with me every single day in case a situation like what I ran into happens again. Um, you need to be prepared. You need to ensure that you have additional tools to survive because at the end of the day, you want to go home. You know? so. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's listen, everybody. It's it's this kind of real life action after action analysis that that has in his book an after action review of things that have taken place, as well as tips that can help not only just soldiers and professional contractors that are out there, but also even civilians. I've learned a lot just from reading that book. Some really really cool tips in there. Uh, so definitely go check it out. There's a lot more of this kind of you know real-life lessons that you can get out of that. So definitely check it out. You can go over and get it at www.com. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying, prepare, train, survive. has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.